Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am excited to get a chance to talk to Leslie Vernick. Uh, Right now we're uh, talking about a very difficult subject. So here we are just getting started and we're already talking about something that's hard. And that's an emotionally destructive relationship. She's written a couple of books. One is called that very uh, title, The Emotionally Destructive Relationship. The other one is called The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. Leslie is a author and speaker and coach, and I'm awfully glad to have her on the show. Leslie, welcome. Thanks, Bill. I'm glad to be here. So this is not an easy subject, so I'm so glad that you're here to address it. Um, As we think about the emotionally destructive relationship we may be in right now, how do we even evaluate if that is, in fact, an emotionally destructive relationship? Well, you know, I think that's a really good question because all of us are sinners and there is no perfect relationship. And so there's pain and suffering in every relationship. There is no path from that. But I think the difference between a healthy sinner and a toxic, destructive sinner, um, because we're both sinners, is when a healthy sinner crosses the line and does something hurtful or harmful to the relationship or to the other person, cheats, lies, steals, um, betrays trust, breaks safety, um, degrades or diminishes the personhood of the other. When they do that in a fit of anger or whatever reason they do it, a healthy person will take ownership for that. They will admit it. They will see their wrong. They will take responsibility for the harm they've caused, for the damage they've caused. And they hopefully don't repeat that over and over again. So we can all cross the line at times, but usually it's a huge wake-up call when we have and we say, well, I need help. I'm not going to do this again. I I need to get, you know, my act together. I need to get accountability. I need to get support or counseling, whatever I need so that I don't continue to do this behavior. Um, An unhealthy, toxic person will continue to repeat those patterns, expecting amnesty, instant forgiveness, mercy and grace, expecting that they should be entitled to the perks of the relationship without having to do any repairs. Okay, that's very helpful. It does seem that when people have done one of the things you listed, and there were several there, uh, some of those have happened over time. When you start uh, drifting away, you start uh, making compromises, and all of a sudden it sounds like if you've been caught, uh, you then are faced with either fessing up, which would be a healthy thing to do, or continuing to cover your deception, which would be a toxic toxic thing to do. Yeah, and it's also an unhealthy thing to do. So you don't want to have a relationship with a person, whether it's a wife or a co-worker or a friend, but you also have a relationship with God if you're a Christian. Right. And so if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you when you've really crossed that line um, and you've harmed not only the Lord, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he first said against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned, you know, so he recognized that he not only hurt Bathsheba, but he hurt God. And so I think when we have no conscience there, or we're not willing to take responsibility for that, then a healthy relationship with that person isn't possible. You can't repair the relationship until a person's heart is truly changed and repentant. 
Leslie Vernick is my guest. Her book is called The Emotionally Destructive Relationship, Seeing It, Stopping It, Surviving It. So I guess, Leslie, I'd love to hear more about seeing it, recognizing it, and uh, how you start the conversation in a way that's going to not blow up in your face. How you start the conversation with the person? Yeah, if you're starting to see it, how do you have that conversation to get things uh, out in the open, so to speak? Well, I think it's probably best, usually with a destructive person, when you try to have a conversation, they will gaslight you or they will uh-huh. demean you or dismiss you, know, dismiss you or tell you you're crazy or you're making things up or you're out of your mind kind of thing. So having a confrontive conversation, just like Jesus tried to do with the Pharisees many times, um, usually doesn't end well. But the first step would be to try to do that at least. And how you would do that would be describe the behavior and what you don't like about it. So I feel afraid. I feel you're controlling my every decision. I feel when you call me this, 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 that's very degrading and dismissing. I don't like it. Instead of saying to someone, you're an abusive person, you're an emotionally abusive person, uh, most people will react very defensively to that. But I think if you can describe behavior that you don't like, that even my children, when I was young, when they were young, they would say, mommy, you're scaring me. You're yelling too loud. <laughs> you know, so they could describe behavior that they didn't like. And depending on whether or not I was willing to give them any credence would depend on the nature of our relationship, right? So, okay, I'm sorry, honey, I'll stop, right? Leslie, when you talk about sharing your feelings, when the stakes are high, I I wonder if sharing feelings would just make you even more afraid because you're going to make yourself vulnerable. Well, I, I think you're right. So Jesus talks about it this way. In Matthew 7, he says, Don't judge other people. So I always encourage women or men who are trying to have this conversation, don't put labels on people. Don't say you're an abuser, you're a narcissist, or you're a sociopath, or whatever we tend to label people with. Um, So don't judge or don't label. Um, And then he says, take the log out of your own eye before removing the speck in someone else's. So own your side of the street. Maybe I've been too passive. Maybe I haven't spoken up earlier. Maybe I've let this go too long. And then the next thing is, you know, share you know, take the log out of someone else's eye, talk to them about what they've done that has hurt you. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 18 as well. But then he says something very interesting at the end of Matthew 7. He says, and don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn on you and trample you with them. So our pearls are our very vulnerable selves. And when we continue to ask someone to care about us, who clearly has shown they don't care about us, they don't care about our feelings, they don't care about our personhood, they may still want to use us, but they don't care about who we are or how we feel, then don't keep sharing. That's so heartbreaking, even just to hear you say this. It just It's very hard to hear. So mm-hmm. when you start to see it and recognize it and you try to stop it, what are some healthy boundaries you can sort of put in place to help uh, keep you a little bit more protected as you try to work through this? Well, again, I think it depends on what this is. Um, So I would say I would assess the safety issue. Safety is really important in a relationship. You can't have a healthy relationship with anybody if you feel afraid of them. True. And so um, if there's a safety issue where perhaps, and I'm not just talking about physical safety, but it could be physical safety where um, this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so it could be a physical safety issue. Um, We think about the... um, you know, recent story of um, Gabby Petit, who was 
uh, killed by her boyfriend, allegedly. And, you know, she had some warning signs, I'm sure, that things weren't safe, and yet she continued to ignore them. So I think it's not a matter of talking to someone about that. It's a matter of getting away and, and exiting out of that situation. But it might be other kinds of safety issues. Um, it could be financial safety issues in a relationship if you're uh, – married to someone or you work with someone who you know is stealing from you, there might be other kind of safety issues that maybe it's not okay to talk about. Maybe it's just a matter of taking action to get safe first. Um, but I think if there's no safety issues, I think there is a discussion that you can have about a boundary. Like, hey, when you talk to me this way, I'm not having a conversation with you anymore like this, or I am not willing to live like this anymore. And then the other person has to decide whether they're willing to do that change or not. Yeah. So when I appreciate you bringing that back to what this is, uh, like I said earlier, maybe this is just another one of those conversations we're having and we've had it before. We're having it again. We don't seem to solve it. We go round and round and it sort of eats away at your, at your, your heart a little bit where you go, I cannot believe we're having this conversation again. We're having this Mm -hmm. one argument over and over. So I was wondering if there's a way where you can draw a line in the sand and say, I need to put up a healthy boundary so we don't go back into this cycle of dysfunction. Yes, I think it really depends on it, you know, what it is. So I'll give a couple examples. Let's say that your spouse drinks too much and you've had this conversation and you can't control their drinking. You're not their babysitter. You're not their conscience, but their behavior when they drink alcohol or take drugs or whatever is scary to you or damaging to you or just plain old disgusting to you. And so maybe a boundary is, hey, if you choose to drink on a Friday night, I'm going to go hang out with my friends or I'm going to sit in the bedroom and read my book or I'm going to go do my thing because I don't like being around you when you choose to drink. Or if you choose to drink at a party, I'm not driving home with you. I'm going to call an Uber or I will drive myself. So those would be some boundaries that you can do temporarily to take care of you and your safety. Mm -hmm. And you can't control the other person, but you can say, I'm not having this discussion with you anymore. You know how I feel, but I'm not doing it like this anymore. Mm. Leslie, why aren't people nicer to each other? (laughs) That's a really good question. I think that's the answer for our whole culture. I think think there's a, a, a lot of entitlement that we feel entitled to. Um, dump our negative feelings on people when we haven't thought or prayed about how we want to say things constructively for the moment. Um, The Bible calls us to be peacemakers, um, but that doesn't mean that we're to be peace fakers Mm -hmm. or peacekeepers. Um, And so we are to learn to use our tongue wisely. We're to learn to speak the truth in love. So we're not to just cover over sins and pretend like it's not happening. But I think sometimes we get ourselves in such a situation where we're so frustrated and so angry, and maybe we're not healthy ourselves enough to have good boundaries, and then the other person isn't healthy enough to respect our boundaries, and so we keep wanting them to change. We want you to respect our boundary, or we want you to do what I want, and they're not willing to do that, and so we're not willing to take a stand. We're not willing to take the next step, because after you speak up with someone and you say, ouch, stop, this hurts, I don't like this. Well, to keep saying that over and over again for 20 years is like playing a broken record. Mm-hmm. And then you get very frustrated and then you start getting ugly in the way that you say it, right? Because why aren't you hearing me? Well, they've already told you they don't care. So then what's your next step? That's a great point. 
But when you marry a flawed person, which are the only people available to marry, and you start to Wait, realize... What kind of person? Pardon? I didn't hear that word. When you marry a what kind of person? A flawed person. A flawed person, okay. Yeah, which I, which I said I think is the only kind of people you can marry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you go into a relationship with expectations, and mm-hmm. perhaps if those aren't discussed and revisited and readjusted... Mm-hmm. that you can have this long history of what you feel would be unmet expectations, which uh, would then produce some of the, possibly some of the toxic behavior that that you were talking about. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think Jesus had some unmet expectations of Peter or the Pharisees or Judas, um, but he still handled himself with truth and grace. Oh, I agree. So I agree completely, I think- yes. Yeah, so our responsibility is how do we handle life that disappoints us in a mature way? That's called being emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, because, of course, any marriage will be disappointing at some points. Right. But the other the other point of this, so, so if we start getting toxic because the other person isn't meeting our needs or isn't meeting our expectations, then we have our own work to do. Amen. Right? Because calls, right? Yeah. But, but it doesn't mean we have a good relationship. And I think that's where the church gets really confused, because somehow you're supposed to have a good marriage when only one person is doing the work. And it can't be possible when one person is toxic and the other person is trying to live with that person. There isn't a good relationship, even if the other person handles their side of the street in a good way. Mm. So, all right, maybe we're in a toxic relationship where we have one. I would love to talk about ways that we can heal destructive relationships. I think what we'll do is we'll just take a very short break. If we come back, we'll keep on that topic of how to heal destructive relationships. My guest is Leslie Vernick. She's uh, written several books. Uh, the one that we're uh, chatting about today uh, is about destructive, the emotionally destructive relationship, seeing it, stopping it, surviving it. We'll take a short break and be right back. Leslie Vernick. You can go to leslievernick.com. That's V-E-R-N-I-C-K.com. She's written a couple of books. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a coach. We're talking about uh, emotionally destructive relationships. And she's written also a book called The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. But we want to uh, gain her wisdom on how to heal from a destructive relationship. I think uh, many of us have had difficult, challenging relationships, and you're always looking for ways to heal because your heart can get hurt and wounded, and that's no way to live. Leslie, how can we do a better job of healing over some difficult relationships? Well, I think it'd be best if I could just share a story of my own. Uh, My mom was destructive to me growing up. Um, I was eight years old when she left my dad. This was when divorce was very rare and single parenthood was not, you know, popular at all. And I was a child of divorce, you know, in the sixties, none of my classmates were uh, divorced. My mom was an alcoholic. She 
was abusive. She was often not home. She worked by day as a secretary and by night as a waitress at the Playboy Club. So I had full responsibility for my younger brother and sister. She was mostly tough on me, I think, because um, she had unrealistic expectations for me as a child, but also because I reminded her of my father when she was um, physically as well as emotionally abusive. And finally, when I was 14, my father got custody of all three of us, and my mother exited out of our life in a positive way. She continued to be negative. Um, And it was really hard for me to be, um, first of all, to heal, because my healing, I thought, depended on her healing so that we could fix our relationship. And so one of the first things that's so important is understanding is that I was a victim of abuse for sure, but the person who was responsible for my healing was me. And I think this is the first step of having that mindset shift of saying, well, it's not my fault. She damaged me. You know, she, she, you know, ruined my childhood. She didn't, you know, I didn't go to school for seventh and eighth grade. So I was really behind in high school and I was behind in algebra and it was all her fault. And it, and it was her fault but it was my responsibility. And I think that's a critical mindset that has to shift for people who are true victims of anything. You're a victim of a crime. You're a victim of a a rape. You're a victim of a, you know, something that happened to you. Someone pushed you in front of a train or you were a victim of a car accident of someone who drunk, drove drunk, whatever it is, you might be a legitimate victim of something, but for you to heal, that's going to be your work to do. And I think so often we get caught in it's not fair that I should have to do this. Um, and yet, if you don't do it, you're not going to heal. So I think that first step is that real mindset shift of, yes, I was wronged. And yes, I was wounded. And if I want to heal, I have to own it. That is such profound wisdom, Leslie. I, I was just thinking if you're 20 feet in the ocean looking at fish and an octopus, octopus rips off your scuba gear, you can either be mad at the octopus or you can go, it's my job to get to the surface and get some air. Yeah, exactly. If I want to live, yeah. Yeah, because it does no good yeah. to stay there without oxygen and be mad at the octopus. Exactly. It's a great, great word picture. And I think so often our culture kind of allows someone who's been a, a legitimate victim out of our empathy for them, you know, legitimate empathy and compassion kind of make excuses for why they can't get better because the other person won't change, because the other person won't say they're sorry, because the other person won't, you know, make it up to them or whatever. And my mother never did. (laughs) So was I going to let my life get ruined? My childhood got ruined. But was I going to let my life get ruined because someone wasn't behaving the way that I wanted them to? Yeah. And if you were going to sit around and wait for mom to ask for forgiveness, you might still be waiting. Absolutely. You know when she asked for forgiveness? When? On her deathbed. Okay. All right. And I was already, you know, I had done my work, so I was able to forgive her. Had I not Beautiful. done my work, I wouldn't have been able to forgive Beautiful. her, even if she asked. Yeah. Um, there again, Leslie, that's a, a very moving picture. Um, the minute you told me that, I started to almost feel the tears in the back of my head well up a little bit. Hmm. I think it's such a hopeful thing because I think if we tie our healing to the restoration of the relationship or to someone being sorry for hurting us, then we're sunk because mm-hmm. Satan's going to continually use that in our lives. But when we understand that God, just like Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God will use it for good in our life. And because I was an abuse victim and because I was an abused child and because I understand what that feels like, and because before any books were written about abuse, I had to figure out what does the Bible really say? Am I allowed to have boundaries with my mother when she's not changing? Am I allowed to say, no, mom, you can't see my children. You can't babysit because you're not safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to put my kids through what I went through. Am I allowed to say that, or am I supposed to just forgive and forget and love covers a multitude of sins? Am I supposed to just endure all things and forget what happened, leaving the past, all the stuff that Christians are traditionally taught about these things? I had to say, I, I can't do that. 
when you just mentioned Joseph, it makes me think of the amount of suffering Joseph went through, but then the relationship mm-hmm. that he had with the Lord as a result. And it sounds like, you know, when you were in charge of your recovery, so to speak, you went through a lot of suffering and it was very hard work, uh, but you walked through it with the Lord. And then that's how you ended up in a healthy place today. Well, that's right, because I had to finally do battle with who am I? Am I who my mother says I was or am I who God says I am? And there's, there's a mind battle that goes on when people are destructive in your life, whether you're a victim of verbal abuse or whether someone just doesn't give a rip about you. And they're supposed to love you like their mother or your mother or like your husband or like your wife. They're supposed to care and they don't. And they don't. And so does that make you worthless? And that's a real heart-head battle that you have to do in your healing. Am I worth something? And who says that? And even if, like, this is a funny story, Bill, but I had a client um, who was very angry at her husband. He was acting horrible, and she wanted to make a statement, so she took her diamond ring off, and it was like a big two-carat diamond ring, and she threw it down the toilet and flushed it. And because she did that, does that make that ring worthless? No. (laughs) <laughs> the ring was still valuable as I was driving down the sewer drain. But in her moment of stupidity, you know, she treated it worthless. And so in my mother's immaturity and her own brokenness and her own damage, she treated me as worthless. That didn't make me worthless. But if we don't do our own work to kind of think through that, we can live as damaged goods. Yeah. How important is it, Leslie, to live in a community of believers in a place where we're always around people that are telling us the truth about who we are in the Lord, reinforcing our identity in Christ. Well, again, I would say that I've been around enough unhealthy believers okay. who, kind of, <laughs> um, you know, are immature and unhealthy in their ways and kind of say, well, you should just forgive your mother and, you know, let bygones be bygones. And, you know, you need to honor your parents. That's what God says. Um, and without learning the whole counsel of God and understanding things that they can also do more damage to your healing. So be careful of the company you choose. But what I would agree with you is you need support. You cannot do this alone. And healing requires support of others who know God and trust God and can tell you the truth about yourself. And this is also sounds like you spent a lot of time in the word looking for uh, answers and looking for what God's perspective was on your uh, pain. Yeah, and really understanding the story of of the Bible, because when you look at people who suffered, Joseph, Abigail, Esther, Vashti, um, you know, Moses, I mean, people who suffered in the Bible in small ways or big ways, God always had a larger story arc in mm-hmm. all of that. And if we can remember that, that that my suffering is not going to be wasted. It's going to be used for the glory of God. If I can, if I can trust Him with that, and if I can do my work so that I don't allow Satan to win, yeah. then then that's my work, and that's my work of healing. Um, and Satan is always trying to, you know, rob us of our story of, of our story in history, how God would place us in history. Satan tried to rob Joseph of that, or Esther of that, or you know. Um, Peter of that through his discouraging moment. But we have to think through what is the bigger picture and what is our place in that. And as we do that, we are strengthened and healed. Yep. Leslie, you're direct, you're honest, you're a straight shooter. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Leslie Vernick's been my guest. You can go to leslievernick.com. We'll take a short break and be right back.
Welcome back to the show. You know, what does the Bible say about marijuana? Okay. I think I have your attention. Um, you know, it's not mentioned really anywhere in the Bible, so we, we better understand what it is and how it would affect anyone who uses it. We also should understand what the Bible says about um, healing, suffering, and what it is to be human. Uh, we've got a lot of... Um, Things to discuss with our guest, Todd Miles. He is a professor of theology at Western Seminary in Portland. He teaches theology, church history, hermeneutics, and ethics. He's written a book called Cannabis and the Christian, What the Bible Says About Marijuana. Todd, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Bill. You know, when I think about uh, marijuana, of course, I am thinking about now the recreational use of it, which I've always been against, but then now there's the medical use of it, which... For you know, people who are truly suffering, I'm real curious to find out what we're going to learn from you today. Yeah, and most of the time, uh, medical marijuana makes its way into states before recreational marijuana does. But uh, the truth to tell, that it, it's there's a strategy involved there. Of course, oh. uh, if, if once a person is is comfortable with the idea of medical marijuana, then it's a, then it's a fairly easy ask to get uh, recreational marijuana legalized as well. I mean, that's just common knowledge. That's what the strategy is. I'm not even like being a conspiracy theorist. It's 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 all out there. Mm-hmm. So let's start by discussing oh, what the Bible doesn't talk about relative to marijuana. Doesn't really mention it. No, no, it doesn't. You know, there's references to weeds and trees, and I suppose pots or pans and that sort of thing, but 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 not the kind that we're talking about. Exactly. Here, of course. Exactly. So, how do you understand uh, the, how the Bible would frame uh, the use of marijuana? I mean, it's a a plant that grows in the forest, right? You can come That's across right. a marijuana plant and go, "Oh, wow, this is marijuana." If I knew how to use it, um, I could get some kind of. Uh, result from it or relaxation high whatever i'm not for it yeah. i just want to say that again but yeah. i do want to i want to hear your perspective yeah well uh, since the bible doesn't explicitly mention marijuana then we have to know something about how marijuana works um it, it would be a mistake i think to suggest that just because the bible doesn't say something about a particular topic that that there's no spiritual impact or the lord doesn't care right i, I I think we'd have to, to, to try to make that case that, that this is like a gray area. Um, and, and, and when we're dealing with an intoxicant, uh, which, which is what uh, THC is, that's, that's, the, that's one of the psychoactive components of, of, uh, of the cannabis plant, uh, then it's, it, the stakes are raised. Uh, we, we would understand that, that since, since the Bible has a lot to say about alcohol intoxication, that, that maybe we want to consider um, how marijuana works, uh, what its intoxicating effects are, and, and does the Bible speak to that at all? So, okay, I, I like where you're going with this. Please say more. Yeah. So uh, if you look at what the Bible has to say about alcohol, uh, it, it has a lot to say, uh, and and it's treated variably. Uh, 
alcohol is, is celebrated at times in the scriptures. You know, wine makes the heart glad. Uh, wine makes its way into the rituals and rites and, and even the offerings of, the, uh, of, of Israel. Um, wine makes its way into the Lord's Supper, which is one of the uh, ordinances of, of the Christian church. And so we would probably hesitate, I would hope, before we just, every time we see the word wine or alcohol, we substitute pot. That that would make for some rather odd communion services, I think. <laughs> uh, I agree. Uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, but then we look at, at, at the biblical prohibitions on intoxication. And helpfully, uh, the Lord doesn't just say, don't get drunk because I said so. Uh, the Bible is full of explanation as to why uh, the Lord forbids intoxication by alcohol. Um, and it, it, I categorize those in, in, in three ways. Uh, alcohol intoxication is, is wrong because it diminishes cognitive abilities. It diminishes physical abilities, and it diminishes moral judgment. And, and, and all of those things are connected to behavior and, and, and honoring the Lord. And, and so at, at that point, I, I think we can carefully uh, say, uh, wow, uh, the, the, the marijuana high, intoxication through marijuana, demonstrably does all three of those things. And so I think we can take the biblical prohibition on alcohol intoxication and apply that to uh, the, the THC or, or marijuana high. All right. Now, I appreciate that. Thank you for making that parallel. Um, let's talk a little bit about the risks of marijuana use. I know it's, uh, we just sort of touched on it a little bit, but, you know, it seems like this is a, a drug that a lot of young kids experiment with and start using. And it's not uh, without severe consequences and uh, risk. Oh, that's that's absolutely the case, and unfortunately, you, you won't hear this kind of information. You won't hear about the risks. Uh, they, they tend to be downplayed by the media. There's a very powerful marijuana lobby. They have a complicit media. They have a very complicit uh, popular culture as well. Um, and so, I, I think as as Christians, if, if we're going to evaluate, okay, is, is this something I can do or not do? We would want to understand what those risks are. And uh, we talked a little bit about intoxication. Um, uh, you, you mentioned teen use, uh, which, which is on the rise by by, by every uh, measurable that, that I've seen over the last three, four years. Um, this is particularly, particularly uh, dangerous mm -hmm. I, because uh, THC interferes with, with brain development. And this is not the kind of thing that's up for debate. It's, it's, it's not like the, the uh, clinical data is, is unclear. No, this is, it, I, I, every study that I've seen has shown that THC interferes with brain development. And, and the problem is, is that you don't get it back. Um, and so if you are a regular user of marijuana, and you're in your teenage years, or even for guys in your early 20s, because because the male brain isn't fully developed until about age 26, 27, 28, sometime around there. Uh, THC will interfere with that brain development, and and you've lost it. Hmm. It's it's not like you sober up and then your brain catches up. It it doesn't do that. It doesn't work that way. Wow, that's very interesting. Uh, Todd Miles is my guest. We're talking about cannabis and the Christian. What the Bible says about marijuana. 
Let's, of course, talk about uh, the law. Now it's legal in some states. So let's talk about how the Christian is going to look upon this regarding the law. Yeah, well, uh, of course, just because something is against the law, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong. Um, Just because the law uh, doesn't prohibit something doesn't mean that it's necessarily right. There's all sorts of biblical examples where where, you know, kings or tyrants would command something and, and, and the followers of the Lord would, would have to say, I, I can't, I can't obey you in that. A uh, much bigger category would, would be all the things that the law does not uh, prohibit, civil, civil law does not prohibit, uh, that, that, are, that are obviously wrong. And, and there, there's a whole bunch of things that I don't want the government uh, prosecuting, right, uh, that, that are clearly simple, like, like lust or or gluttony, right? Uh, These are clearly sinful things that that I don't want the government prosecuting. But just because the government doesn't prosecute them, just because the the government doesn't outlaw them, that doesn't mean that they're okay. And so we really can't, as Christians, just look to civil law as a reliable guide for what's right or wrong in the Lord's sight. We have to, you know, dare I say it, think like Christians for a change. And maybe one of the helpful aspects of, of this push to legalize marijuana is because it has a bit of a stigma associated with it. A, a lot of Christians are, are, are waking up to this reality that, wow, uh, just because something is legal doesn't necessarily mean it's okay. Yeah, it seems we always want to change the way we feel, whether it's with food or exercise or whatever. We're looking for ways to change the way we feel this is something that it seems a lot of people have gravitated to using. Um, and it's, uh, we can change the way we feel by entering the throne throne room of heaven and petitioning the King of Kings. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, you know, mind altering drugs are, are, um, well, they, they, they obviously come with risks. We, I, I talked a little bit about the brain development, uh, study after study after study are, are, are linking um, THC and, and, and regular marijuana use uh, with uh, earlier onset of mental illness. Um, some studies are, are suggesting that, that, that there, there may be a causal aspect to this. Um, and, and so, you know, just I, I, I think it's worth just shooting a warning out there right now that, that, that if you have any any uh, genetic predisposition towards mental illness. If, if, if mental illness runs in your family, it, stay away from cannabis. Stay away from cannabis. But um, you, you won't necessarily hear that because uh, people think, wow, you know, that marijuana is good uh, because it mellows you out. It's harmless. It's not addictive. Of course, that's not true either. Marijuana is demonstrably addictive. It's, it's not as addictive as, as many things like opioids or even nicotine. Uh, but not as addictive doesn't mean not addictive. And and so uh, oftentimes a lot of people are, are, are turning to something that they feel is, is relatively safe because that's the, the message of the culture. Um, and they are actually endangering themselves or perhaps even exacerbating um, the problem that they're seeking to alleviate. So, Todd, if you can, um, talk a little bit about the difference between medical marijuana and obviously recreational there's different ingredients in one is the medical ha- have a different um formula or is it the same no 
No, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only difference is, I guess, the intended use behind it. Okay. Uh, it, it, if if you have in the states where medical marijuana is legal, and you have a medical marijuana card, you'll stand in the same line with all the recreational users, and you will buy from the same batches and and, and all that. Um, there's, I, I mean, marijuana is marijuana. Okay. Um, there's there's no different kind. Now there's there's different components uh, to the cannabis plant, and and and. And breeders or cultivators will will seek to either you know uh, maximize THC content or maybe CBD content as well, um, but but yeah, there's there's no difference between recreational. That, well, there's no difference in the the, the substance itself. Um, one person could could have a joint, I, I suppose, who's who's smoking that one joint to get high, and another person could could grab it and say, "Hi, I, I need this medically." Um, that that sounds a little weird, but uh, but that's the point I'm trying to make is that it's really the same substance. Mm-hmm. Todd Miles is my guest. We're talking about his book Cannabis and the Christian: What the Bible Says About Marijuana. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Todd Mills has written a book called Cannabis and the Christian, What the Bible Says About Marijuana. Todd, in Chapter 7, you open up pretty personally about uh, the struggle your wife went through with her cancer diagnosis and some of the psychoactive drugs she took, and she was practically out of her mind, it sounded like. Uh, I would love for you to share uh, a little bit of that, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, uh, so my wife was was diagnosed with cancer a a couple of years ago. Surgeries and and chemotherapy and radiation and and, and of course one of the uh, uh, nasty side effects of the chemotherapy is, is intense nausea and, and uh, you know I it's probably a, f- a familiar refrain for families who've dealt with with cancer before but um, man I've never seen anyone as sick as my wife was uh, during that time and um, uh, we had we had uh, uh, joked with her about. Uh, um, you know, using medical marijuana to alleviate her nausea because because THC uh, that's one of the psychoactive components of uh, of the cannabis plant uh, both increases appetite, which is really helpful for people who <laughs> who are struggling with chemotherapy, and it also reduces nausea. And it, the FDA has has approved some medications where they have isolated the THC, and it's in pill form. It, it, you know, there's at least a couple forms of that. Um, but but a lot of people just go to a, a marijuana dispensary and and, uh, and 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 buy some pot, and and, and it would be uh, a medical use of, of marijuana. And, and we had joked with her about that beforehand, but. Boy, when she was so sick, suddenly it wasn't a joking matter anymore. Now, we didn't uh, resort to that because the doctors were able to prescribe her uh, medications that got her nausea under control. Uh, but those drugs were, were deeply psychoactive. Um, and uh, one, of the, one of the conclusions that I came from is that I, I, I don't see a morally significant difference between psychoactive drugs. Um, uh, you know, the drugs that my wife was prescribed that got her suffering under control, which was an incredible blessing, uh, versus if if she had been prescribed a THC-based drug, um, that if if that would have worked for her nausea, we'd have been super grateful. Um, 
the, the drugs she used were mind-altering. THC is also mind-altering. I'm not sure there's a morally significant difference between those two. Uh, so that was one of the lessons I learned. I, I, we, we also learned from this uh, that, that suffering itself is mind-altering. Um, you know, uh, that I, I write at length, uh, both in the re- recreational marijuana chapters, but also in the medical, um, just about the importance of clear thinking for the disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, being able to take our thoughts captive in obedience to Jesus, honoring the Lord with our thinking. And, and in times of chronic suffering, or, I'm sorry, acute suffering, acute suffering, um, I, I, I have no issue with people taking a mind-altering drug to find uh, alleviation because suffering itself is mind-altering. Um, and, you, you know, I, I think we might want to think twice uh, and give careful consideration to whether we want to take mind-altering drugs for chronic suffering, uh, but, but for acute suffering, certainly. Um, those are just a couple uh, lessons that I learned from from my wife's experience. Mm-hmm. Todd, how do Christians uh, kind of wade through all the claims made by marijuana advocates? Uh, I think, you know, just with a a, a healthy suspicion that, that we ought to have every time we see an advertisement for anything on television, that, that advertisers and advocates have a, a vested interest in, in getting you to buy their content or their, 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 their product. And, and truth is uh, oftentimes elusive when, in that quest to get people to buy product. Um, but when it comes to the, the, the marijuana industry and, and, and all of the wonderful benefits of, of the medical use for cannabis, I, I, I think we, we need to understand that, that the clinical evidence is way behind the claims, and, and the claims are, are even uh, greater than a lot of the anecdotal evidence as well. Um, but, but certainly the, the clinical evidence is behind all the anecdotal evidence. And, and you will hear people talk about marijuana as though it is just a panacea. It cures everything. And um, my, 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 my doctor or my, my med school student sons both tell me if something claims to be a panacea, it, it probably cures nothing. Um, now, that's not the case with cannabis. Uh, it, it does have some proven medical benefits that I think we should be deeply grateful for. I suspect more and more medical benefits will be discovered because the cannabis plant is just highly complex. Uh, but so, for, for example, CBD, which is another component, a non-intoxicating component of the, of the cannabis plant, um, has, has been very helpful in, in reducing the, the number and the intensity of seizures in some really nasty childhood epilepsy uh, illnesses, um, and, and I think we should be grateful for that. And so th- there are medical benefits, but um, I'm, I'm always wanting to understand what is the actual clinical evidence uh, for this uh, versus just the, the anecdotal evidence. Um, because I, I, I mean, my, my inbox is, is full of people who've emailed me following, you know, either reading the books or the magazines or that might listen to podcasts or radio, whatever that, that I've done. Uh, that, you know, marijuana cured my dad of cancer. Um, and it's like, man, I, I wish that were true. <laughs> I, I wish that were true. Um, there's just no cl- clinical evidence for that. Mm-hmm. Parkinson's, n- no no clinical evidence. Um, uh, it's just all sorts of claims are made, um, but the clinical evidence for it is way, way behind. So, Todd, how do you react to or how would Christians 
react to people in our families or people we know at church or friends who just swear by its use? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think we should listen to them because because just to, just because it's an anecdotal uh, piece of evidence, it doesn't mean it's necessarily false, right? Uh, people's testimonies count. Um, but 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 also uh, just be be educated on on how cannabis actually works. Uh, read up on uh, the the potential risks, or, or well, I guess they're not potential risks. The, the real risks uh, of of cannabis use, and and there are a number uh, of them. We've we've highlighted just a few of them. Um, uh, be concerned about. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we're fellow learners, you know, we're, we're fellow disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're, we're to be encouraging one another towards love and good deeds, and uh, encouraging one another to, to guard our, our life and, and our doctrine, our, our, our thinking, and um, and understand what, what the Bible has to say about things like addiction. Um, uh, is there a place for a mind-altering drug in the life of a Christian? It's it's not evident to me. Um, you know, and of course, alcohol is, is mind-altering. Um, it, it's intoxicating, but but the Bible gives us limits on that, doesn't it? Um, caffeine, I suppose, is is mind-altering as well. It, it's it's psychoactive, um, but typically not in a deleterious way. Uh, we. Uh, most people are more alert, at least for a while, when they're using caffeine. And so, um, understanding what the, the 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 potential benefits, the the real risks, and and then thinking about just the, the life of discipleship. And and in the book, I really try to frame things in terms of wisdom and discipleship. I'm I, I'm I am really hesitant to call something a sin that the Bible doesn't explicitly call a sin. I want, I want to be very careful not to bind someone's conscience where, where the Lord might not have done that. Uh, I'm pretty happy, or I, I, I feel strongly that I can say uh, marijuana intoxication is a sin. Um, but then some of the other medical uses where, where people are self-medicating, either for anxiety or ADHD, uh, you know, I, I think we should come alongside people and uh, listen to them and and then uh, delve perhaps a bit deeper into why a person might be experiencing anxiety. Um, are there any alternative routes? Is there something that is a, a, a bigger a core issue uh, that, that should be dealt with and instead of just masking the symptoms with a mind-altering drug? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess there's a few ideas. I appreciate that. And I know uh, when you are alongside someone who's suffering, and if it's chronic pain in particular, your heart yeah. is broken all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Chronic, chronic pain. It, I, it's, it's, it's brutal. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're in the middle right now of an opioid addiction epidemic. Um, uh, things are getting a little better on that front, but, but a little better from what was an absolutely abominable state is, is not all that great. And, you know, we need to, uh, we need to figure out what we're doing with with opioids, um, and and most most Christians who are addicted to opioids, they, they didn't get addicted because they were you know out on the street corner scrounging for the next high. 
they were probably prescribed that by a doctor that they trusted. Um, and they were trying to, to deal with, with very real uh, chronic or acute pain. And opioids are great for pain. They work. Mm -hmm. uh, they work. Um, but the, the fallout of that is that now we have this opioid addiction epidemic, and, and many of those who are addicted are, 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 are followers of Jesus who are now enslaved to a mind-altering drug. Um, there, there's got to be a better way. Maybe, maybe one of the silver linings of, of this whole medical marijuana uh, thrust is that because there's a stigma attached with marijuana, uh, people are going, well, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't use this. Um, I, I, I think that's an oak, a, a good question to ask or some, some good thoughts. Maybe we should have been thinking that way about opioids, too. Yeah. Todd, we just have a minute left. Most of the uh, emails you're getting and responses from the book, are they nice, kind, or angry? They're, they're all over the place. I, I've, I've gotten used to that. Um, okay. You know, I just know. That, that, that I'm talking about an issue that's, that's contentious yeah. in the, the, the culture. And typically when I go to churches and talk, I, I get two lines of people. Uh, uh, there's a line of people who are really frustrated that I just didn't come straight out and say, oh, you know, marijuana is the devil's lettuce. And, right. and if you even <laughs> smell some secondhand, you're a sinner. And then I get a bunch of people who are angry that I was just too critical as well. And yeah. I, I figure as long as I'm not pleasing anybody that, that maybe I'm doing something right. Yeah. I don't know. Todd, thank you so much for doing the show. Nice to have you on. It was great to be with you, Bill. Thank Thanks you. so much. You bet. Todd Miles has been my guest, Cannabis and the Christian, What the Bible Says About Marijuana. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.